Well, yeah, welcome everybody to uh, Calvary. This is, let's see, what are we at here? Week three of online services. And um, if you're at this point just tuning in to see which is growing faster, uh, my hair or my stomach, uh, this week, I think my stomach is winning slightly, although my hair is getting longer and annoying. So, uh, yes, tune in next week and we'll see which is getting bigger. Uh, today is Palm Sunday. Uh, this is the day when Jesus was welcomed into Jerusalem, uh, like a, like a conquering king. Uh, people were waving palm branches and laying their coats in the road and shouting, Hosanna! which means our salvation. Less than a week later, those exact same people have turned on him and they're shouting, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. It's weird to think how quickly public opinion can turn. But I think maybe after the events of the last few weeks, we can kind of have a sense of how quick things can change in our lives and in the world around us. Uh, This morning, what I want to do is talk through some of the events that led up to the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus as we look ahead towards Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. Those, Those were some very, very scary and dark days, especially for Jesus' disciples who really didn't understand what was happening. These things were, were especially confusing to them given what seemed like such a high point in Jesus' ministry uh, with the triumphal entry. The, the, the pinnacle of Jesus' ministry, though, was not when he rode in on that donkey and had people shouting, Hosanna. That wasn't the height of his triumph. Really, his, his true triumph is what would happen uh, later on that week. Uh, if you're if you're new to the story, let me give you just a little bit of background. Uh, the the Jewish leaders of that time they absolutely hated Jesus. I, they were jealous of Jesus and his ministry and his success. He was more popular. Uh, Jesus openly challenged their long-standing traditions and and beliefs and the way they did things. He openly scolded them at times. The plot to kill Jesus had begun years before this. They they wanted him gone, uh, and their hatred blinded them to the fact that Jesus really was God. He was the Savior that God had promised his people. Jesus had evaded a number of assassination attempts because the time wasn't right. He was he was on a timeline. He was on a divine schedule, and, and timing mattered to him. When the time began to draw near, Jesus uh, headed in the direction of Jerusalem. While he was still a ways away, he got word that one of his closest friends, Lazarus, was sick and dying and probably wouldn't make it very long. Now, uh, Lazarus was somebody that, that, that Jesus lo- loved and cared for. And so you would think that Jesus would just drop everything and go straight to him and heal him and raise him up. But, but that's not what he does. He waits a few days. 
Eventually, Jesus arrives in the town of Bethany, which is where Lazarus was. It's, it's a town that's very close to Jerusalem. It's on the way. It's about two miles away from Jerusalem. He gets there, and, and Jesus sees these people, these friends that, that he cares about and that he loves, and they're mourning, and they're grieving because Lazarus has already passed away. It says that Jesus himself weeps. Again, Lazarus is dead and buried, but God's glory will be displayed. Jesus uh, asks that the stone is rolled away from the tomb, openly mocking the grave, and they tell him, no, he's going to stink. Don't do it. And then Jesus calls into the grave and says, Lazarus, come out. And with this, this large crowd of mourners looking on, Lazarus walks out of the tomb alive, wrapped up in his, his burial clothes. And, and John's Gospel says that, that m- many of the people who saw with their own eyes, they put their faith in Jesus. John points out, though, that there were still some who remained hard-hearted. Hard to imagine seeing someone risen from the dead and still being hard-hearted. You can imagine after this, Lazarus becomes like a a superstar. Everybody's talking about it. He's he's famous. People come from all around to see him, and and these huge crowds flock around to see Jesus, and and his fame is at an all-time high, And, and his enemies are angrier than ever. And so we can, that, that's sort of the setting that we can see as Jesus is walking those last two miles into Jerusalem. He, before he gets there, he has his disciples run ahead and pick out a donkey for him to ride in on. And, and they secure a place for them to have their Passover meal together, their, their last supper together. Again, there's this huge crowd of, of Jewish people who had gathered for uh, the celebration of, of Passover. They heard the news that Jesus is heading into town. And that's when they all come out to see him and, and they're, they're cutting palm branches down and waving them and they're shouting, Hosanna, this is our Savior. And they're laying their coats in the road and they're treating Jesus like he is their king. More than that, they're treating Jesus like he is their God. He is their Savior. They're worshiping him. This event, like like so many others that we've already seen in the life of Jesus, is a part of God's divine plan from the beginning. In the Old Testament, in the, the book of Zechariah, it says, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. As Jesus rides into town, the people treat him like their king and like their savior. Those jealous Jewish leaders watch all of this unfold and they tell Jesus, tell them to stop. Tell them to be quiet. Tell them to stop worshiping you. Scold them. And Jesus' reply to that is, if I did, if they were to keep quiet, then the rocks and stones would cry out. Jesus is saying this worship is well-deserved. Jesus is saying, I, I am their Savior. I am God. 
He had come to bring peace on earth. But his, his own death had to come first. Just a couple days after this triumphal entry, Jesus gathers together with his disciples in order to, to celebrate the Passover meal together with them. Later on that night, Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to face this trial. He's going to be sentenced to death and then ultimately hung on a cross. Jesus knows what's coming, but his disciples really didn't. They don't fully understand what's going to happen next. And so Jesus uses this, this last evening together with them to encourage them and to try and help them understand that what is going to happen, even though it's going to be dark and scary and frightening for them, it's a, it's a part of God's ultimate plan and God is still in control. He starts off by washing their feet in this beautiful display uh, of servant leadership and humility. And then Jesus comforts them with these words. Uh, this is John chapter 14, starting in verse 1. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that? I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, uh, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have, you been, uh, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, Jesus has more to say to his disciples on this final night before he's uh, arrested and, and crucified. But again, his, his disciples don't fully understand what's happening. It wasn't really until later than these, that, that these events that they saw and the things that Jesus said uh, made sense in light of the risen Jesus. Here in this passage, Jesus summarizes the absolute most important things. He wants to really embed these core truths into their skulls so that they will be well prepared for what's about to happen. And these words are also given to, to, to comfort them. 
And they were words that were intended to bring comfort to his disciples back then, but they still bring comfort and hope and peace to us today. First thing that Jesus tells them is, listen, don't freak out. Whatever you do, don't freak out. And really, this is great advice for all of us all the time, especially now. Jesus begins this little pep talk by saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. Which is just a nice way of saying, relax and calm down and trust, even through these scary, dark things that are coming. Just trust. Don't freak out. In a matter of hours, these disciples would see their Lord be uh, arrested and assaulted and beaten and slandered and mocked and killed. Things were going to get scary. And so Jesus again says, don't worry. There's a plan here. Worry and confusion, they assault us daily. Things happen in our lives that we don't understand. And sometimes we just sort of reflexively freak out. Sometimes we get so discouraged because we, we think that, that evil is winning. That, that things are just out of control. But that is not the case at all. Not, not then, not now. Worry and, and, and anxiety and fear, they, could, they can cause us to freeze up. But there's, there's another option. And Jesus gives that option. Instead of freaking out, he says, believe in God. Hold fast to the fact that God the Father and God the Son are in control. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, he says. And I I think that's really good advice for us right now. We don't have to be troubled. We, We can just trust, rest in God. Through the the horror of all that will soon happen to Jesus, uh, he tries to encourage his disciples to just don't, listen, don't lose hope. Whatever whatever happens, don't stop believing. And really, those are our, our only two choices in life. We can either freak out when bad stuff happens, or we can trust God when bad stuff happens. But you can't do both. You can't do both of those things. I mean, if we really do truly believe that God is sovereign and that God is in control and that God's taken care of us, then that'll help to calm that anxiety as our trust in Him rises. We never have to have heavy hearts again. We can just rest in Him. Jesus uh, encourages His disciples by saying, listen, I am going to prepare a place for you. His destination was heaven soon. I mean, his mission on this earth would be accomplished. God took human form so that the debt owed by humanity could be paid. The arrest and the suffering and the death of Jesus was not an accident. It was an act of sacrificial love. He says that in the Father's house there are many rooms. There's a place reserved for me and a place for you, right in the very presence of God. There is this eternity free from the curse that we wrestle with now that awaits us. 
Jesus is saying, listen, I'm, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then Jesus offers them these comforting words that he will come back to get them when the time is right. He isn't going to leave us forever. There are some things that we need to do in the meantime. We're to teach others about Jesus and we're, we're to point the way to heaven and we're to show the grace and mercy of God while we wait for Jesus to return. But at some point, all those who are appointed to salvation will have believed and Jesus will return again. And That promise is from His own lips. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to Myself. That where I am, you may be also. I think there's times where we question, is that really true? Is that really going to happen? Jesus has been gone a long, long time. Is, is He really ever coming back? Peter has to answer that question to a, a group of believers who were uh, discouraged and wondering, is, is He coming back? And It reminds them that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day to God. God isn't dragging His feet. In 2 Peter 3.9, he says, The Lord is not slow about His promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. And Peter goes on to urge us to be holy in light of the coming of Christ. Uh, look, look forward to it. He says, be, be, be ready. Come back at any moment. We know Jesus is coming back again soon. Okay, so Jesus comforts His disciples uh, next by saying, you know the way where I'm going. Again, I, I think He's offering these words to, just to comfort them and to calm them down. You already know how to get to where I'm going, so it's all going to be okay. You're going to get there too. The problem is that they really don't have any idea what he's talking about. They don't get it yet. Thomas says, I don't know where you're going. I don't know what you mean. If I don't know where you're going, how can I know how to get there? That doesn't make sense, Jesus. Explain. Now, I, I, I can imagine at this point, Maybe Jesus had this strong urge to, okay, I'm just going to start this whole pep talk over again from the beginning. Let's go all the way back to the start, and I'll talk slower. Okay, point one, don't freak out, right? Thomas, you're freaking out a little bit here. Calm down. Don't fret. Believe in me. But Jesus is patient with Thomas. He gives Thomas specific directions on how to get to that destination. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Jesus is the way to heaven. He's the door. He's the only name under heaven by which we may be saved. He's the one that came to bring truth and life to a world that's filled with lies and death. Jesus is the way, the, the only way, the only Savior, the only hope. He's uh, the, the one who alone has 
has redeemed us from our sin. Thomas needed it spelled out to him in small words. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I don't know how to make it any clearer than that to you, Thomas. The reason that Jesus is the only Savior is because He is fully God. He isn't just another teacher or just another prophet or some helpful guy that came along. No, God the Father and God the Son are one. Distinct in persons, but completely one in essence and purpose and will and being. Jesus says to him, if you really knew me, you would know the Father as well. You do know him and you have seen him. Okay, this time it's Philip's turn to ask the question. Ah, we want to see God. Just, just show us God. That'll be enough. That's all we want is just to see God. And again, uh, Jesus is patient. Uh, you can tell from his response, though, that, that maybe he's getting a little bit frustrated with him. I don't know. He, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Like, how can you say, show us the Father? I mean, don't, don't you already believe that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father? Not just speaking these words on my own initiative, but the Father is the one who's doing his works. Believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, Jesus says. And this little matter of exactly who Jesus is is so important. And so he takes extra time to explain that he is equal with God the Father so that they all get it. Jesus is fully God. And because of that, uh, the next thing that Jesus does is, is encourage his disciples, listen, I, I'm... I'm going to be with you. I'm, I'm going to give you this, this same like spirit of power that's been with me. You're going to do awesome things. It's all going to be okay because there is power in my name. There is power in the name of Jesus. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. In the next part of this chapter in John, Jesus spends a lot of time talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to go uh, back into heaven, but he's not going to leave us uh, helpless. That same Spirit of God that has empowered his ministry is going to empower us. When we pray to God the Father in the name of God the Son, the uh, the Holy Spirit powerfully answers those prayers. And what exactly does that look like for us? What does that mean? How, like, like why did Christ come and die for us? Why does his death, why does his sacrifice reconcile us back to God? Why does Jesus promise that he will answer our prayers? And, Answer those questions because God loves us and, and, and he created us for this relationship with him and that's all a part of the plan. But really, the, the whole thing, like, the work of Christ on the cross and, and our redemption and reconcilia reconciliation back to him, all of that is for the purpose of showcasing the glory of God. That's really the centerpiece here. That's really the key. 
And Jesus says that there in, in 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that I'll do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That, that's the ultimate goal is for God to receive the glory that he's due. When we pray and God answers those prayers, God gets the glory. When, when we come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, God gets the glory. When we show the love of Christ to a scared and hurting world, God gets the glory. And He's the only one that deserves it. That should be our, our desire, our mission as, as Christians, as believers in this world, is that everything that we do and all that we say would bring glory to God. If that, that's the case, if, if, if our, our primary purpose in everything that we do is, is to ultimately bring glory to God, then listen, your prayer life is going to be uh, amazingly effective. In your home, make sure that God is glorified. In your workplace, work in such a way that, that God is exalted. May, may your words and your actions and every breath that you take bring glory to our God. Paul says it this way, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Personal holiness understands that the things that we do, like to, to bring glory to ourselves, are worthless. But the things that we do to bring glory to God and to honor Him, those are the things that ultimately matter. And finally, Jesus encourages His friends by telling them that He will answer their prayers. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Uh, praying in Jesus' name isn't like some sort of magic spell. It's, it's just simply a, a, a way that we pray in such a way that recognizes that all of our hope and that all of our life and that all of the power comes from Him. There is no power in any other name, no power in my name. But there is great power in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' last few hours with his disciples, this is what they wanted him, uh, them to be reminded of. They wanted them to know that they, they didn't have to worry. They didn't have to freak out. Just keep on trusting in God to understand that he, Jesus, is the way and the truth and the life and that God will receive the glory that he deserves. May those, those core truths be close to our hearts as well, especially as we draw near to Easter. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the hope and the comfort and the encouragement that it offers. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus Christ. Thank you uh, for sending him to come and to suffer and to die for our sake. We understand, God, that we are sinners and that sin has separated us from you and that we are deserving uh, of a punishment and wrath. But in your great love, you found this way to bring us back to you through faith in Jesus. I praise you, God, for this gift of eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.